Well, amen. We're going to get right in God's word. Well, we've been studying out of the book of Mark. So we're going to go there and uh, we kind of getting our way through it. All right. The book of Mark. Now, I remember I told you in the beginning that the book of Mark was written uh, by Mark, but because of Peter. Peter began to tell Mark about the things that Jesus did. And so Mark wrote them down. He was kind of like, you know, just paraphrasing Peter and writing down things as the apostles and Peter, namely uh, Paul did a little bit of talking to him and he wrote down the book of Mark. Mark was not an apostle, but he definitely was a disciple or student of Paul and he worked real close to Peter. And so his book specifically talks more about the things that Jesus did more than the things that Jesus said. Although he says some things that Jesus says, but the book of Mark is like the book of the acts of Jesus Christ himself. And so you see Jesus doing a lot of things in this book. So we're going to pick up right where we left off. Let's see. We were at chapter three. I started with the man withered hand. So we read through that, but I'll just read through it again, just so that those of you who were not here can catch a glimpse of where we're going with this thing. I mean, it's quite interesting. I'm getting really excited about the Gospels and specifically this book of Mark. All right, Jesus heals on the Sabbath day. And it says here in verse one, he entered again in the synagogue in verse one of chapter three. And a man was there with a withered hand. Now, obviously, that's a hand that would not open. It had lost its life and strength. And so he could not use his hand. It had withered away. And verse two says, and they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. Isn't that strange that people want to look for a reason to accuse Jesus? And here's a man in need. This man has a withered hand. And all they're concerned about is he going to do it on the Sabbath day. <laughs> I mean, what better day to heal? In the Sabbath day, right? In verse three, and he said to the man with the withered hand, he says, arise and come forward. So you know something's getting ready to happen. He tells him to rise and come forward. When Jesus speaks, you should listen. Take a look at verse four. And he said to them, because he knew what they were thinking. So he said this to them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. <laughs> And it wasn't a trick question. Jesus was making a point that here's a man in need and they were more concerned about the laws rather than the person. And whenever you get so legalistic in your life and you worry about the law, then you make the law greater than the people. And the law was made for the people. You see, so they're concerned about doing things the way that they have done it traditionally all this time. So Jesus is about to break some tradition. I love Jesus for that because he's a tradition breaker. <laughs> and verse five, after they were silent, verse five says, after looking around at them with anger, the Bible says. Now he was upset. It wasn't the kind of anger that we have. When Jesus gets angry, it's called indignation. It's never a sinful anger or a selfish anger. When we're angry as people, we have some selfishness at the root of it or some problem or something we're upset about. But Jesus was upset and angry at what the Pharisees were doing to the people. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And hardness of heart means their unbelief. You know, when you have a hard heart, if somebody tells you your heart is hard, it's because you're an unbeliever. You're not believing God. You're in doubt and unbelief. So they have this hard heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored, the Bible says. Now, he acted upon what Jesus said. You know, Jesus speaks to us in our hearts. Sometimes we hear him in our minds. Because as we read the word 
and we pray, we renew our mind, God will start with your head because you have to get the right mindset when it comes to God. Sometimes doubt starts in your head and it drops in your heart. And so God will always deal with the mind, especially when it's unrenewed. He will speak a truth to you and you have to make a decision at the point when you hear the truth to either believe it and receive it or let it go. So he says to this man, stretch out your hand. So the only thing this man had to do was obey Jesus and he stretched out his hand. And the Bible says when he stretched his hand out, it was restored. Now you would think that'd be a great thing, wouldn't you? But listen, so his hand was restored and verse six says, and the Pharisees went out immediately and began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Now they want to kill Jesus for helping someone. I want you to think about that for a minute. All throughout Jesus's ministry, all he did was obey the father. Jesus never did anything that was not the Father's will. So here are some people, Pharisees, who studied God, who said they were of God. You would think they'd be the first to recognize that this was God's work. But Jesus heals this man, and all they sought to do was to kill him. Now, how could you love the same God that Jesus was talking about and want to kill his son for doing the works that God called him to do? And many times when you reach out into a community, you always have the naysayers. I was doing homeless outreach in San Diego is where we're from. And I had so many people, well, why are you feeding the homeless? You know, they should work like we work. You know, they should just get a job. This is what people say. This is the judgment of people. You know, and after spending some time with the homeless, I realized that maybe some of them could work, maybe. But that's not my judgment. But what I found out after talking with them is that, and they softened my heart and my attitudes towards reaching out to people. Many of them suffered from a lot of traumatic things that have happened in their life. Many of them, they're in the military and they have that post-traumatic stuff that goes on. They have a lot of things like that. One of the things that stopped me from having such an attitude and picking up the attitude of the people was this. I talked to a young man and I asked him, how long has he been in the street? He said, I've been in the street for like nine years. And I said, well, if you don't mind, would you tell me why or what happened? He says, well, make a long story short, he says, I had a knock on my door one day, and I'm a painter by trade. He says, the police came to my door and asked me who I was and had some information for me. He says, your wife and your daughters were killed in a car accident. And it hit him so hard. It was so just traumatic for him. He said he just lost just consciousness, yet he was awake. But he said he heard them, but he didn't hear them. And he didn't even remember when they left. He walked out of his house and walked away from his trade and everything he did. And he'd been walking around the streets of San Diego for nine years. You talk about somebody in bondage. Now we sit in our cars and we judge people about being homeless or asking for money and things like this. You know what I believe sometimes? I believe that in some situations where people are homeless and they're asking for money, the test is not on them, the test is on us. The test is on society. God is watching what we do and how we treat people. And just like these Pharisees, they didn't say praise the Lord. And they said, oh, brother, thank God you got your hand back. Thank God your hand was withered. Now it's restored. They sought to kill Jesus. They sought to kill the anointing. They sought to kill the help that was coming to a helpless society. And that's what religion will do for you a lot of times. And tradition will do. It will kill the spirit of the letter. It will kill the spirit of the letter. So they sought to kill Jesus. And, you know, interestingly enough, verse 7 says, And Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. And then, listen, a great multitude 
from Galilee followed him and also from Jerusalem. So it's important that we know that when you reach out to somebody in a community, you could ruffle a lot of things. In verse 8 it says, and from Jerusalem and from Edomia and beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude heard of all that he was doing and they came to him. So it didn't stop Jesus. It didn't stop what he was doing, even though he was not received there where the religious community was. And I find sometimes that the religious community, they don't want anybody coming in doing for people the things that they could not do. So you have to be very careful. I was even careful when I came over here. You know, I didn't know what had gone on in this place before I got here. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking this place has been here, I don't know how long, a few years it's been here. And I said anybody at any time could have raised up and did a Bible study, performed a church service for everyone. I mean, you have it's free. I mean, you, you go in, you talk to the office and tell them, I'd like to do a service for the community here. And they said, well, yeah, go ahead. I asked them before I can get my words out of my mouth. They threw the keys at me, basically. They said, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. We would love that. And I was so startled because I was ready to say, well, you know, what, 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 what? No, but they, they let me in. They said, come on in. So I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I just kept hearing, well, we'll go and we'll try it for a couple of months. But what I'm seeing is God's fruit, the fruitfulness of God on Sundays and on Wednesdays. God is doing something unique in this place. Amen. And I'm loving every bit of it. I'm thankful to God. Like I said, when I got here, I got blessed. I think more than you get blessed being here. I was being blessed just being here. I mean, I couldn't wait. We were over in some other building, and somebody suggested, why don't you come over here on Sunday? <laughs> why don't you come over on Sunday? Yeah, you, you could probably do a church service here. You know, it's like the seed was sown. Amen. But, you know, and you just follow those unctions sometimes. You never know where God's going to lead you. Alfred comes up every week. He encourages me. He speaks the word of God over the church, speaks the word of God over the people. He gives me big visions and dreams that God is speaking to him. And I just, I receive it, brother. I receive it in Jesus' name. All things are possible to him that believes. Amen, Scott? All things are possible to the one that believes. Keep your believer on. Keep your believer on high. Trust God. I know you go through a lot of things and you go to the doctor. Sometimes the doctors can discourage you. Don't be discouraged by the doctors. They only teach you what they know. They only teach what they know. I thank God for doctors. They're giving me some points of view. Amen. They're telling me some things that may be wrong and maybe I have some other options. It is your job to seek beyond the information they give you. They're only teaching out of their discipline. Amen. Thank God for doctors. They keep you well long enough for Jesus to heal you. <laughs> Amen. Don't shun the doctors. Pray for them. They're only doing what they know. They're doing the best that they can with what they have. And they'll tell you that I can do no more. And when they say that, see, God picks right up on there. You just hang on to the hem of the garment of Jesus. At that point, when they tell you they can do no more, you know God's getting ready to do something. Amen. So in verse 9, he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready. So he knew there was a large crowd coming. So prepare them to go get a boat because he knew he wouldn't be able to stand on the beach and talk to them for because of the multitude in order that they may not crowd him. So a lot of times when you have somebody really powerful doing things, you got people coming in hordes just to come and get what he has for them. So Jesus says in four knots, prepare a boat and put it out just a little bit. And I'm ready now to deal with the people. It's a very powerful thing that he was doing for this whole community. It changed the community. And look at verse 10, for he had healed, how many? many. What is many? Many is many, many is a lot, but many doesn't mean all. 
But it said he healed many. And I've learned that many get healed and why anybody gets healed at all is because of their faith and compassion of God. And some people don't get healed, but we don't know the reasons why they don't get healed. But I'll tell you why I wasn't getting healed back in the day, because of my vacillating doubt and unbelief and my double mindedness. I will tell you, to be honest, be transparent a little bit. I remember getting sick one time and I got sick and tired. See, it was one thing to be sick. But then when you get sick and tired, you kind of let your inhibitions down. You kind of give in and give up a lot of times. And sometimes it's a struggle. And I admit just human, it's a struggle. And I just basically told God, I said, man, I'm just tired and I'm sick. And this is why the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. You will reap if you faint not. And God anticipated that we could get weary. This journey could make us tired. So, but nobody knew that that was going on inside of me because this is my personal battle. So to be honest with you, at any time, if it were not for the grace of God, say grace of God. If it were not for the grace of God, I could have slipped out of here and people would have been saying at my funeral, well, he was a good old boy. He was really trying hard. He tried to pastor. He loved everybody. But they didn't know that I was fighting with God on the inside. They didn't know that I wanted to quit or I wanted to give up. And see, that's what the enemy does. Remember, his job is to come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, but I have come to give life and give it to you more abundantly. So when you look at John 10, 10, that's what he talks about. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So you still have to make a decision. Are you going to follow Jesus and his abundant life giving? Or are you going to follow what the enemy does to come in and steal, kill, and destroy? And the enemy would know what he would love it for leadership just to fall out and die and quit and give up on God. Because if you kill the head, you kill the body. And they did that to Jesus. You know, you smite the shepherd and the sheep will what? Scatter. Well, in this case, they smote the shepherd and he multiplied. When Jesus died, we multiplied. <laughs> Amen. When he rose again, the glory and the victory belongs to Jesus. All power and honor to his name. Satan thought he killed the son of God. But what he did was call more sons of God and more women of God to be born into this earth, to be born again because of Jesus's life. Amen. So it's really powerful. So Jesus sets these people up. He's ready to go, you know, and verse 11 says, and whenever the unclean spirits beheld him, they would fall down before him. And listen to this cry out saying, you are the son of God. Now, how would an unclean spirit know that he's the son of God? See, in the spirit realm, there's information and truth that's just out there. See, demons, the Bible said, know that there's a God and they believe that there's a God. And the Bible says, and they tremble. They know and they tremble. What's wrong with us? When you see a person saying that a lot of times they're atheists, they're saying, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there's a God. And you keep talking to them and you find out that they're mad at God. If you keep talking, if you don't judge them, I always say, well, why are you an atheist? Well, I'll tell you why I'm an atheist. And they'll start to they'll, they'll just gladly tell you, well, I was a little boy and something, something happened to me. And then this person happened. If God was really there, then why didn't he help? And he's just mad. Now, here's my question. How can you be mad at something that doesn't exist? If God doesn't exist, yeah, how you get mad at him? What it is that we have some misinformation. We have some lack of understanding about some things. And we have some fortunes told to us that were not true. You know, and as the Bible says, Jesus healed many of the people. We don't know why some of them didn't get healed, but we know why the ones that did get healed, why they got healed. Sometimes you got to put yourself in a position and you got to want to live. You can't give up on living. You got to want to live. 
And I know, I don't judge people on that because I've, I've gotten to that place too. I've gotten to the place where God, it'd just be better for me to go home with you. I've said things like that out of my mouth because I was upset. And we let a moment define our attitudes for the future. And the good thing about it is that everybody in this room has contacted and come in contact with something life-threatening at some point in your life. And I want you to think about it right now. You came in contact with something life-threatening, but you're still here today. So what that makes you is an overcomer. And we're always overcoming something. And as you overcome, you just keep on overcoming. And that becomes a part of your testimony. So when you talk to people and you talk about what you've been through, the power of that testimony is that you overcame. And you just keep on overcoming. And while you overcome, you let other people know that they can overcome too. So every one of you in this room is an overcomer. Amen. You're an overcomer. Why? Because you came over. That's good news. And verse 12 says, and he earnestly warned them not to make him known. So even the demons knew who he were. They cried out, son of God. Jesus told them, don't make me known yet because it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. He had work to do before he would be known. The time that Jesus was going to be really known is when they put him up on the cross. That's when he were to be known. But while he was doing the work of his father, he was quietly, and we need to take a lesson from this. When you have a certain amount of love and compassion and you have an ability to really help people, you want to be quiet about that stuff. You don't want to be so prideful and puffed up about that that you own or cornered the market on the power of God. Who does that? <laughs> no one. You need to be in the grace of God and operating in the grace of God. Did you not know everything is a grace? That means it's something that God does for us that we don't deserve. Let me say it again. I want to make sure it gets down to the middle ear. <laughs> See, I got the outer ear, but I want to get to the middle ear, the inner ear. Then I want to hit the middle ear and go down to the spiritual ear. Don't you know that everything that you have right now is a grace of God. That means you do not deserve it. There is nothing you could do to honor or merit God doing what he does for you. Even though you look at your circumstances and you think your circumstances are bad, guess what? I can show you somebody 10 times worse than you right now. We can go around this room. How bad is your sir? Oh, you don't know, I don't know, brother. It's really bad. I can show you somebody 10 times worse right now. So it's never a comparison. We have to be thankful that's the way up, thankful. Have an attitude of gratitude. It will produce a better altitude. Get your minds up out of the circumstance and the situation. Whatever pains you have, thank God that you have pain in your body to let you know that something's going on. Your body is talking to you. And we ignore stuff so much. How many things have we ignored all of our lives? And yet now we have this pain. Hey, man, that's just a signal saying something's not right yet. Just keep on working. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing. When I got out of bed this morning, knees were a little slow. And I had to move one before the other one. And I finally got up, and I was able to walk. Man, I got up one foot before the other, and now I'm out here. I'm trucking now. Amen. Them aches and pains will make you thankful. They will make you thankful. Amen. Let's go down to the next one. This is where Jesus begins to choose. We're just going through the book of Mark line by line. And the reason I'm doing it is because, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of times in these days, people don't read the Bible. We got all these self-help topics and all these subject matters that just tantalize the ears and tickles the ears of the people. And people just want to hear things that they want to hear. But I think we just need to read through the Bible verse by verse, line upon blind, so we can see what God is really saying. 
Amen. If Christians would just read the Bible, man, our lives would be better. The Bible is not just for Sunday. It's not for Sunday. It's for every day of the week. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. So every word in this Bible and in every word that the Holy Spirit has on the inside of the Holy Spirit that he will communicate to you, the truth of God, the knowledge of God. We need to be just men acquainted with these things. Look at verse 13. And he went up to the mountain. Jesus spent a lot of times in the mountains and summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him. Now look at verse 14. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So he, he picked 12 people, 12 men particularly, and these are the people that he wanted, that he discerned it should be with him. And I want you to think about the list of people that he picked. It's interesting. Jesus didn't pick an all-star team. He didn't go out when I used to play basketball and we go out and play football. We want the best players on the team because we want to win. Jesus went out there in the presence of everyday people, everyday people, men, no skill set in particular. And he chose these guys because he knew in them there would be something God would be able to do through them. Thank God you do not have to have a Ph.D., which is nice if you do, but you don't have to. You don't have to have one. You don't have to have a master's degree. You know, when you have a master, <laughs> you got Jesus. You know, so you don't need all these things, and people think that they do. But look what he did. I love how Jesus, he's no respective person. He loved everybody. So he picked them to preach the gospel. And none of these guys had any prior experience in preaching the gospel. I want you to note that, too. They were fishermen and all kinds of other trades that they did, but they had no prior experience. In fact, there were no seminaries in that day that Jesus could send them to because he was the teacher. He definitely wasn't going to send them to the schools of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the would not sees. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of other people, won't, they won't see. No matter what you do to them, they just won't see. <laughs> Verse 15, he gave them the opportunity to preach, and he says, and to have authority to cast out demons. Wait a minute, are there demons? Cast out demons. I know some of you probably met some demons before. Right? You've met some demonic activity. At least, maybe you haven't personally met the demon, but you've met their work. Amen. When you have the kind of things that go on, why our prisons are filled today with all kinds of uh, heinous crimes and felonies and murders of all sorts, and we can name it, it's been done in prison. And you, you'll talk to these people, because I go into prison and do ministries there too. And these guys, a lot of times when they commit these, these crimes, they don't have the time even remember what they've done, because they've been a lot of times overtaken by a spirit. Some of it's their personal responsibility they have to take, but sometimes they do things and they don't even know why they've done it. Demons love to leave people in the dark. And he says he gave them authority to cast out demons. Now, you don't have to believe that, but this is what the Bible teaches. They had to have authority to cast out demons. And then verse 16 says, and he appointed the 12 and he names them Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Everybody knows about Peter. And I'm just about every uh, church or every place you go. Everybody talks about Peter because of his uh, active lifestyle that he had. He had a very sharp tongue, very quick tempered. He was always doing something, always getting into some kind of trouble. So Jesus named him Peter. His name was Simon, which meant rock, little rock in that sense. And so we had Peter. And then uh, we have uh, verse 17, James and the son of Zebedee, he says, and John, the brother 
of James. To them he gave the name Boagernes, he says, which means sons of thunder. So he had a pretty active group with them. You call some guys sons of thunder, there must be a reason for that. <laughs> and in verse 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and you don't hear a lot about Bartholomew. You know, if you read the Bible, you won't hear a lot about him. But if you get into some other books, uh, like the historian Josephus, he writes about the life and history and times as they happen. And you'll pick up a little more information about these people. But there's a reason why God would call Bartholomew in the same way we call the others. All right. And then he goes on to say, uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and then Matthew. And then Thomas, and we know who Thomas is. Thomas was referred to as the doubter later on. And then we have James and the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and then Simon the Zealot. All right, and now look at this. Now Jesus is choosing these guys to be with him. I mean, they didn't sneak up on him. He chose them, right? In verse 19, and Judas Iscariot, right, who also betrayed him. So it's interesting that Jesus chose 12 men and he chose one that betrayed him. Don't get upset at your betrayers. Jesus handpicked one and put him right in the midst of everybody else that he was doing. See, there's always use for a betrayer. <laughs> they always will be used to set up the greater things of God for you. People who come into your life to hurt you or discourage you or to try to destroy you, if you go ahead and treat them like you treat everybody else, God will use what they mean for evil for good. I used to get so frustrated in the ministry. I've been in the ministry for about 40 years now. And that ain't nothing compared to some of the stuff God's been doing. But in my mind, it's a lot, a long time. I'm looking for retirement, but I don't think it's coming anytime soon. But <laughs> as long as I got strength in my body, God's going to use me. But I remember being in the ministry and I had such a, a naive approach to the ministry. You know, I'm figuring, hey, I got God, you know, we got the Bible, you know, we're going to go into the world and everything's going to be great. I'll tell you, it's been the worst journey of my life dealing with Christians. Amen. Not the world, not the world. I mean, I've had a good time with the world. The world has been very respectful because they know enough not to disrespect God, but it's the Christian folk. I didn't know there were so many different type of Christian folk and how hateful Christians can be and just how rude they can be. And then when I found out the sheep have canine, they have teeth, they bite. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, no wonder you said to Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And he goes back a little later on, he says, but do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, you know I love you. He comes back and he said, Peter, do you love me? He goes, I, Lord, you know, he gets a little frustrated. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus knew that if Peter did not have great love for him, he would have abandoned the sheep. Because it's hard to deal with people who think that they own themselves. We all belong to God. We all should be humble and come to God. But I've never had it so hard in my life till I got into the church and it's been rough. And I've had, when it says that you're to forgive your brother seven times 70, I, I see now why Jesus said that. No, really. I mean, he didn't say forgive the world seven. He said, I mean, Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? He thought he was saying something. Jesus said, no, seven times 70. And it's like, that's like forever, ever forgiveness. You mean I got to forgive them forever, ever? Yes. And guess what? The forgiveness is not based on whether they repent or not. Do I forgive them, Lord, if they're sorry? He says, forgive them. 
Jesus gave us the example on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? See, so it's not predicated on whether somebody is reciprocal. So if somebody offends me, I must forgive people. And I see why he says you must forgive your brother seven times 70, because it will be your brother who will offend you over and over and over and over again. And if we do not forgive, it's because we have not let the forgiver on the inside of us loose on the people who need forgiveness. You got to think about that. Because, see, you have to make yourself out of judge if you don't forgive people. You got to say they ain't deserving of my forgiveness. Well, first of all, they don't need your forgiveness. They need his. And he wants to work down through you to them. So when you forgive somebody, you're not forgiving them with your love. You're forgiving them with the love of the Lord in you working through you because it's a reconciling God. He's a restorative God. He restores people. And the reason people need forgiven is so they can come to know God more fully. Just tear another layer of that onion off. You know, just get a little more potent. Every time we get down to the core of that onion, everybody crying. But you must forgive people. Cannot say, I can't forgive somebody. What are you going to say to God when you stand before him in judgment at, at the Bema seat of Christ? You won't go to the white throne, but you go to the Bema seat, which is the judgment seat of Christ. The white throne is for those who reject Jesus all their life. But let's say we get to the Bema seat of Christ. What are you going to say to God when he asks you, why didn't you forgive those people? You can't give any reason or excuse that's greater than the love that God has given you. You must forgive people. I am convinced that if we learn to let things go, we could be a lot healthier. Some of us have been mad about stuff for 20, 30, 40 years. And if you go and check all the way back to why that knot is in your body, it's all tight in your body from all the negative stuff that comes out of your brain and out of your cells of the, the acid and all the release of free radicals in your body, the tension that you have, the stress that you have forming just like cancer and tumor in your body, a lot of times you got to let things go. And the worst of it all, you got to forgive yourself. Some of us haven't forgiven ourselves for things we've done. If you can't forgive yourself, you make yourself to be bigger than God. If God has forgiven you, you must forgive you. I know I'm talking to me. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody else, but I know I'm talking to me. <laughs> I grew up a little boy with a lot of anger issues. Just angry about everything, just mad, walking around, just mad. Anything happened, I'd just be mad about it, be mad about it for days. And all I did was hurt myself. I'd be looking out the window, and all my friends would be playing, and I'd be in my room mad. Somebody knock on the window, and they say, are you coming out today? And I'd look out with that mad, scowled face, no, I ain't coming out today. They said, we want to play, we, we play baseball, come on out. I'm not coming out. I just thought I was hurting somebody. I thought I, they really want me to come out. I'm not coming out. Well, guess who was missing out? <laughs> let it go. Let it go. I don't care what it is. Let it go. Go outside and play. <laughs> the sun was shining outside. You know, the wind was good. The weather was good. I'm in my room. Nothing was going on in my room. Amen. Let it go. Just let it go. So he chose Judas, knowing that Judas would one day betray him. And yet it was prophesied that this would happen. So Jesus was totally in line with the written word of the Old Testament. And yet, and I don't know whether you notice or not, and I'll say this, it's kind of a nugget. Uh, I won't charge you for this one. Other ones I'll charge you for it. You can pay me at the end, but just joking. Don't get upset. Don't get upset. 
This is not a place where you have to tip somebody. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Old Testament. <gasps> Brother, can't you see? It's in the New Testament. Well, no man put it in the New Testament. You see, the reason why it's Old Testament, because everything before Jesus was Old Testament. And long as Jesus was here, he was fulfilling the word of the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law. So the New Testament didn't begin until Jesus died. Right? See, so when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus quoting a lot of stuff, he quotes back a lot of stuff in Deuteronomy. You know, Leviticus, he's quoting all this stuff of the Old Testament. While he was in the scripture, he's quoting Isaiah in the temple. All this stuff was Old Testament. And yet Jesus was showing us the God of the Old Testament, his compassion and love and mercy for us. But yet when the New Testament was instituted, more than what they had in the Old Testament was made available to us through grace. This was all under the law that God's love was shown. And now that Jesus has come and rose again, the grace of God is all over the place because he fulfilled the law. Amen. So look at this. I'm telling you, I get so excited about this stuff. You know, so everything you see Jesus doing, he's doing it as according to the law, but he's not making the law so overbearing that the people cannot be blessed by it. He fulfilled the law so people can see the grace of God. So in verse 20, and he came home and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that he could not even eat a meal. So many people there, Jesus couldn't eat. He had to skip his food. So much work to do. In verse 21, and when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. They thought Jesus had went cuckoo because he was spending so much time helping people. And if you ever have ministered to people and done charitable work, the people who don't do anything are always telling you you need to slow down. You need to take some time off. You need to take some time to yourself. Well, the reason they say that because they're not doing anything. Jesus had work to do. And they weren't so much concerned about Jesus's health or his strength or anything like that. They were concerned that because they weren't doing it, that Jesus was doing it and they were going to look bad. So he didn't eat his meals. <laughs> he didn't take a break because there were things to do. How do you stop surgery in the middle of an operation? You got a man cut open. Oh, it's lunchtime. No, that's not on schedule. Not on schedule. No break time while you're doing God's work. Sometimes you just got to go until it's done, sleep at nighttime. So it's important that we see the example that Jesus said. He did not lose his senses. He was doing the work of his father. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed, listen, by Beelzebub, and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Now, interesting enough that, first of all, when you look up the word Beelzebub, it's talking about the prince of demons. So he's possessed by the prince of demons, and he's casting out other demons while he's possessed by the demons. Who's lost their mind? Because <laughs> look at what Jesus has to say then. Listen, <laughs> I'll tell you, boy, they ought to get their facts together before they start talking about him. And verse 23, and he called them to himself and began to speak to them a parable. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? First question. <laughs> if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Right. Verse 25. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Jesus, to me, makes a lot of sense. He was not casting out spirits by some other power 
of darkness. He wasn't cast out. The darkness can't cast out darkness. What dispels darkness? Light. I don't care how dark it is in a room. If you light a candle, it will dispel darkness. Just a candle will push darkness back. And so the son of God could not cast out demons by demons. He cast out demons by his power from on high. So he goes on to say in verse 26, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. He says, but he is finished. And we know now Satan's not finished. He's still out there. So we know that Jesus wasn't doing that. Now look at verse 27. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven. Listen, this is all sins shall be forgiven. The sons of men. How many sins? All. all sins shall be forgiven. The sons of men. And whatever, get this now, blasphemies they utter. Did you see that? So all their sins and whatever blasphemies. You know, you have people say, oh, don't blaspheme God. Well, he just said, now don't go do it. I'm just saying. He just said all sins and blasphemies shall be forgiven men when they speak against the work or the things of God. That's what he says here. Now watch. It changes. Verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And this is why I tell people, and I told people this in prison. They say, well, what is the unpardonable sin? He said, and I said, well, what is it to you? He said, well, I believe it's suicide. And I said, well, why do you think it's suicide? He said, because if you die, you can't ask God to forgive you. Well, guess what? Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. It's a horrible sin. It's person. When a person kills themselves, that's their desperation. That's their cry. That's their disconnect. It's a horrible sin. I don't suggest you try it. Well, what is unpardonable, we just read, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And that continues on that when somebody continues to reject to the point of their own death, what the Holy Spirit has revealed and opened to them, and they die in that state. It is unpardonable. I tell people all the time, when the Holy Spirit is moving and he's speaking to you, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Because he speaks directly the opposite of what you want to do. He does. Rarely, <laughs> rarely does the Holy Spirit agree with us. Rarely. And that means we have to spend a lot of Bible time, a lot of prayer time, and we can almost get in agreement with God. But when we are so opposition and so disproportionate, against the things that God wants to do in your life. Get this, a lot of people say, God will call them to the ministry. I don't want to go into the ministry. Keep it up. <laughs> Keep saying that. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Keep on. Keep on. What happened to Jonah? <laughs> God told him to go preach to Nineveh. Jonah booked up. Caught a boat. Thought he can get away from God on the ocean. People have been out there in that boat for quite some time. He never had no stuff happen to them like what happened when Jonah got on the boat. <laughs> they said, wait a minute. These things are a little different than our travel today. We've never had this kind of rough water. They looked around at each other. You've been with me. You've been with me. Wait a minute. It's you. Yeah. They kicked Jonah off the boat, and God provided Uber for him. <laughs> Big belly of the fish. They call it a fish. Well, whatever your theology says, swallowed him up, gave him a comforting ride, for about three days and three nights. He had a three day, three night stay for free. 
at the uncomfortable end. In the, heart, in the belly of a fish. Well, God dealt with his heart because what was going on with Jonah was typology for what was going to happen to Jesus. Jesus was three days in the heart of the earth. He was three days in the heart of the belly of a great fish. Well, <laughs> he made sense while he was in that fish, and that fish got close to the water and spit him up. And he rolled out on the beach, and God said, you're going to go preach in the interview? He said, yes, sir. Amen. Sure am. Right away, sir. Looking back, I'm going right now. And then had the nerve to get mad because God forgave Nineveh. Go preach the gospel to people. They ask for repentance. God forgives them. Then he gets mad about that. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. Don't reject what God is doing in your life. Don't reject the callings of God in your life. Don't reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you about a particular sin in your life. Stop rejecting those things. Continue to reject those things where there's no repentance for things that can't be forgiven. Be careful of rejecting what the Holy Spirit does and coming against the openness of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. You see, you can't come to God the Father unless you come to Jesus. And you can't come to Jesus unless you get drawn by the Holy Spirit. So there's a chain of command. Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. Christ draws us to the Father. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Is that what the Bible says? Amen. John 14, 6. So it's important. He says, verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, let's not focus on that. Just don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You don't have to focus on, well, you know, I'm just not going to get it. No, you'll get forgiven. Just don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Stay open. Stay open to God. When you don't understand something, just say to God, God, I don't even understand. When God called me to the ministry, I didn't understand. I didn't say no. I just said I didn't understand. I mean, I was like, why me? I'm nobody. But in him, I'm somebody. Amen. And he needs a bunch of nobodies to make somebody. Because if you're already somebody, you can't help anybody. <laughs> so you got to let God do it. Because if you think you know already, you're not going to be vested in helping people. Because you figure, I can do it, they can do it. But I knew I couldn't do it. So God helped me do it. That gives hope for other people. Amen? Verse 30. Because they were saying that he had an unclean spirit, they rejected him and didn't trust what Jesus was doing. So they rejected. And look at 31. Now, here's the clincher here for us, and we're going to close out after this. It says, and his mother and brothers arrived and was standing outside, and they sent word to him and called him. Now, here's some of the things you got to be careful of, because when you talk about Jesus' mothers and Jesus' mother and his brothers, which a lot of people don't know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, because they keep calling her the Virgin Mary. Not getting on anybody's case. Drop your rocks. I'm just explaining biblical stuff. I'm just letting you know. She was the Virgin Mary. But after Jesus was born, her and Joseph resumed natural relations. So he ended up having brothers and sisters, which a lot of people don't talk about. Because it just said your mothers and your brothers, not spiritual brothers, your brothers, your physical family is out here and they want to talk to you. So Virgin Mary did not stay a virgin. She was married to Joseph and they had other children and that's important for us to know all right <laughs> and uh, and they called him they wanted to talk to him right you figure your family should be able to talk to your son or your brother so verse 32 and the multitude was sitting around him and they said to him behold your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you and notice what Jesus said and he answered them and said who are my mother and my brothers who are they right and in verse 34 and looking about on these who were sitting around him, 
he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. And this is what he defined it as. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother or my brother and my sister. And he says, and my mother, whoever does the will of God. So Jesus did not acknowledge as priority his biological family. What he acknowledged is those who did the will of God. That was his mother. That was his brother. When I was younger in the faith, I thought Jesus was being rude. Because <laughs> I always, always taught that when my mother calls me, you better go and listen. But he was making a point that it's not my biological family. I'm teaching you about our spiritual family. My true family and your true family are them that do the will of God. That's who it is. And when you look around, think about it. You got family members that you're in strife with now because they don't believe in God. But you got to love them. Because the only way they're going to come in is that you love them. You got brothers and sisters. And some of you have even mothers that don't believe in it. I had a situation where I had a sister come here and her mother didn't believe in God the way that we were sharing it. And they were believing in some other stuff. And I told her, don't worry about it. Write her a letter. Because people will listen to letters more than they listen to you. That you have the audacity to write something to me, I'm going to read it. <laughs> That's what they do. If you talk to them, they'll cut you off. But if you write a letter, I'm going to see what they wrote to me. Who They have the audacity to be writing me a letter. So they go to reading the letter and find out there's a bunch of love of God in that letter, a bunch of scripture and a bunch of things, and you pray over it, you send it to them. Well, long story short, that person read that letter and got broke down. And that person today is loving her daughter and loving the word and loving God and listening to our CDs every single week. And now she is a mother in the faith. Amen. Stay with me till next week. We'll bring you some more truth. Amen. Amen. <laughs>